Vice President of the White Star Line in New York. And it literally shook, shook the world of that day in a way that is nearly impossible for us now in this century to even imagine. Hard to believe, but a hundred years ago this month, on April 10th, 1912, the largest and most luxurious ocean liner of its day began its seven-day maiden voyage from Southampton, England to New York. For most of the 2,228 souls on board Titanic, it turned out not to be a voyage to America, but rather a voyage to eternity. I'm reminded of James 4, verse 13, when the Bible says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there. Carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? It is a mess. You are a mess that appears for a little while and then vanishes. In the airport, I picked up a copy of National Geographic magazine, which, like many magazines this month, have Titanic as a feature on its cover. And as I was thumbing through it, one of the relics that they have now brought up that they recovered from two and a half miles down at the wreck site is a gentleman's sterling silver pocket watch. The time on it froze when that individual hit the water. What was really interesting to me is that it was set on New York time in anticipation of a safe arrival in just two days. And I couldn't help but think of that picture as I think about this verse, and I realize that we really do not know what will happen tomorrow. But we do know that our life is but a mess. If anything, the story of the Titanic reminds us all this morning of really how uncertain our lives truly are. You know, there's so many fascinating facts surrounding the Titanic. Captain Smith, the commander of the Titanic, was to retire after docking in New York. He had stayed on just to complete that maiden voyage of the greatest ship in the world. A reporter who interviewed Captain Smith 
prior to Titanic's voyage, quoted him as saying this. You're going to love this. When anyone asks me how I can best describe my experience in nearly 40 years at sea, I merely say, uneventful. I am not very good material for a story. Do you know that there were over a hundred thousand people present at the launching of Titanic? Picture that. They all wanted to catch a glimpse of the largest moving object in the world, a ship some four city blocks long and some 11 stories tall. It was the most luxurious ocean liner of its day, nicknamed the Ship of Dreams. How did that work out? It had one of the first swimming pools. It had elevators, 1912. It had an onboard telephone system for within the ship. It had a four-story grand staircase. It had accommodations that rivaled the five-star hotels of the world of its day. Do you know that a one-way first-class parlor ticket on Titanic cost in those days $2,500? That would be the equivalent today with inflation adjusted of $57,000. Now that's going first class. And of course there were all sectors of people on that ship, but there were 350 first class passengers, and you need to appreciate it included some of the wealthiest people in the world of that time. People who were literally known all over the world. They were the Bill Gates, the Donald Trumps, and the Warren Buffets of their time. That's who was on that ship on its maiden voyage. John Jacob Astor, he was worth $160 billion. He was on that ship, a real estate developer. No doubt had his California real estate license before the crash. <laughs> then there was Benjamin Guggenheim. And that Iron Baron, $95 billion was his net worth. And I don't know if you knew that the founder of Macy's Department Store went down on the Titanic. Think about that the next time you walk into Macy's. <laughs> Isidore Strauss was his name, and he was worth only $50 billion. Well, on April 14, 1912, just four short days after embarking on her maiden voyage, the most famous maritime disaster of all times to date took place. When at 11.40 p.m., Titanic struck an iceberg and sank in just two hours and 40 minutes. Of the 2,228 souls on board, 
Tragically, only 705 were saved. Over 1,500 men, women, and children perished that night. In fact, the spot where Titanic floundered is so deep that after Titanic actually slipped below the surface and rapidly filled with water and descended to the bottom, it took five minutes, they estimate, just for it to hit the bottom of the ocean floor, two and a half miles down. Historian after historian will tell you the world of today that we live in awoke on April 15th, a hundred years ago this month. And that really brings us to the, uh, the heart, if you will, of the sermon this morning. Because I believe that God really desires to wake us up here this morning out of our complacency as well. And so really the question I want to put before you is, what spiritual lessons can we learn from the sinking of the Titanic? You know, the purpose of this message is really designed to give voice to those who were aboard Titanic and had their voice silenced the night she slipped beneath the water. And so the first thing that I want to put before you that is a lesson that I believe we can learn here, even a hundred years later, is spiritual lesson number one, fact trumps theory. Think about it. Fact trumps theory. The great irony in all of this is that, as you know, Titanic was actually billed by the press of its day as unsinkable. Captain Smith himself, when asked about the safety of the Titanic, said, I cannot imagine any condition which would cause a ship to, to founder. I cannot conceive of any disaster happening to this vessel. <coughs> Modern shipbuilding has gone beyond that. You see, they had a theory. And the theory was is that Titanic was designed with 16 watertight compartments. And that if one, two, three, or my goodness, possibly even four, were flooded, she could still remain afloat. But on that night, when they scraped the side of that iceberg and the plates buckled, six compartments had been compromised. And water flowed over the top of each bulkhead. And this theory of this ship that was unsinkable under any circumstances sank in two hours and 40 minutes. And they now estimate the opening on that ship was not a huge gash, but square footage-wise about the size of a human body. 
on a four-block-long ocean liner. See, that was their theory. Here's the fact. She saw it. And it begs a question this morning, and that is simply, what is your salvation right here, right now, based on? I mean, you really got to ask yourself, is your salvation based on your theories? Or is it based on the fact of God's word? Marty referred to the uh, first time that uh, we got to know each other back when we were university students together. Marty was actually the first guy that, that door knocked me. I was a complete pagan living in my residence hall, and he lived one floor above me. And he knocked on my door on one evening. My roommates and I answered, and he invited me to a soul talk. Yeah, that was my reaction. What's a soul talk? This is a white guy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he proceeded to explain to me that it was a Bible study he hosted in his room. And uh, we, we weren't, as I remember, Marty, not even polite. We, we just kind of said, no, nope, not interested. We're Catholic. And we slammed the door. What Marty doesn't know is that we talked for about the next ten minutes about who was this idiot inviting people on our residence hall to a Bible study. What guts, what a weirdo this guy is. I'm sure none of you can relate, being pure-hearted as you are. The rest of the story is about two months later, my one of my four roommates introduced me to Connie Hill. She came over to help him study for an exam he was taking. We got to know each other in my quad. The rest of the story kind of goes. She said, hey, do you want to come to a soul talk? I said, I would love to.
Boy, never went my theory. Because the more I got into the Bible for the first time, the more I saw that my theories, my spiritual theories, did not match up to the fact of what God was teaching on that doctrine, on that matter. And somewhere you're going to have to choose. Theories are fact. But I'm telling you right now, it's the fact of God's word that is what your life, your doctrine, is going to be matched up to. Are you with me there? I had another theory. That Jesus was just one of many good teachers. And I respected him. But I respected the teachings of others. And then I saw this fact in John 14, verse 6. When he said, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I had to wrestle with the implication of lostness and who is saved and who is the way and the only way to salvation. I had this big theory that as long as I lived a good, moral, and upright life, I will go to heaven. You know, the real joke in that is my life wasn't upright or moral at all, as it turned out to be. I had fallen into what everybody falls into in college. But I thought I was pretty good because I was comparing myself to Randy Eckdorf, who was my roommate. You remember Randy. <laughs> you know, if you guys compared yourself to Randy, you'd feel pretty good too. <laughs> wow. But, uh, you know, in John 3, in verses 5 through 7, Jesus tells us, unless we are born again of water and the Spirit... We will never see the kingdom of God. I had never been born again as moral and as good as I thought my life was. And then finally, my big theory, and you could, uh, you could drive a truck through this one, is that everyone lives this way. No one's perfect. If this is wrong, then hey, I'm going to have a lot of company in hell. <laughs> I think I actually said that when I was being studied with. But then, I thought about what comfort did numbers give those on the Titanic? Gee, I wonder, those who didn't make it into the lifeboat, how comfortable they really felt because there were hundreds there with them in those last moments. Sorry. Ephesians 5 was probably the passage that hit me the hardest in verse 3. It says, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual morality or of any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. Boy, that was my residence for. Which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And then look at verse 5. For of this you can be sure. Man, you can, you can be more sure of this than that ticket you held for Mega Millions last Friday night. <laughs> yeah, this one you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has 
any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. How about it? Theory or fact? Where are you at spiritually this morning? Do you know that 80% of those who become Christians do so by their 30th birthday? That's what statistics show. Because you see, the longer it goes on, the more you get sucked into your theories, and it leads us to the next point, which is spiritual lesson number two. Complacency can lead to disaster. How did complacency show itself on the Titanic? Well, first of all, you've got the mindset of the builder, Thomas Andrews, who actually, by the way, was on the Titanic on its maiden voyage. He basically said that even though the Titanic would be cut literally into three pieces, it would still be able to flow because of the way it was designed. But one nervous passenger, and this is well documented, actually asked a crew member at the launching, is this ship really unsinkable? And the man replied, yes, lady, God himself could not sink her. I think I would have deboarded right there. <laughs> White Star Line, we're urged to put more lifeboats on by the builder. But they decided not to because they didn't want to ruin the beauty of the ship. Can you relate to that at all? Even if all 20 lifeboats were filled to capacity, they should have still would have been a thousand people short of what they needed in a disaster. The very morning, or the very night that Titanic struck the iceberg, that morning, Captain Smith conducted the service on the ship for the passengers. They had scheduled a lifeboat drill after that service. And for a reason still unknown, after service, Captain Smith canceled it. The very morning of the night they would strike the iceberg. And then there's the ice warnings themselves. April 14th, the day she struck the iceberg, the radio room of the Titanic received six separate iceberg warnings. From numerous ships stopped ahead of it in heavy ice fields. Oh, those warnings were written into a radio logbook and passed up to the bridge to read. Shortly before 11 p.m., the wireless operator of a nearby ship 
which had earlier reported seeing three large icebergs, wired the Titanic at 11 p.m. that night this message. Held up for the night, surrounded by ice. You want to know what Titanic's wireless operator bogged down with social wires that he was sending to New York, wired back? Shut up! Shut up! I'm busy! Document in the inquiry. The fatal iceberg, by the way, like just 45 minutes away. You say, what's the application, Mark? Well, isn't it rather obvious? Spiritual complacency is prevalent today. Do you think that might be the case in California? I know it's not in Texas, but I used to live here for 20 years. You guys think you struggle at all with spiritual complacency? You see, I really wonder if we really see life the way God sees life. We're either saved or we're lost. We're either zealous or we're totally lukewarm. In Jeremiah 8, in verse 20, the Bible says, The harvest is past. The summer has ended. And we are not saved. You see, the bottom line is I think if our fellowship suffers from anything these days, it's spiritual complacency. Spiritual complacency. Do you know that Ezekiel lived in a time where complacency was prevalent? He uh, actually had the word of the Lord come to him on that occasion. And in Ezekiel chapter 3, he says, Ezekiel, I've made you a watchman over Israel. To hear the words I speak and to give Israel warning. In verse 18 of Ezekiel 3, he says, When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin. And Ezekiel, I will hold you accountable for their blood. How are you doing at work? Sharing your faith. What do your neighbors know about your spiritual convictions? What do they possibly understand about how no one knows what tomorrow will tell? Our life is simply but a mist. You see, the bottom line is simply this. It's really, really easy to get complacent. And like that wireless operator on the Titanic, we can say, shut up, shut up, I'm busy. Have you ever said that to the messenger who tried to help you spiritually? Are you thinking that in your heart 
as you're sucked into the things that so often need to be rooted out to help us spiritually. And then finally, there's a third spiritual lesson that I think those, if they could, who went down with the Titanic would want you to hear on this 100th anniversary. And that is, I hear their voice saying, urgency is of life and death importance. I mean, do we really need to be convinced that the situation was urgent that night? Do you know that shortly after Titanic hit the iceberg, the captain immediately went to the bridge? Andrews, the ship's designer, was asked to give his evaluation of the damage as the report quickly came in. And he told Captain Smith, according to the inquiry, that he was certain that a Titanic would surely flounder and that it had one and a half hours to flow. Yet do you know that it was not even until an hour later that they launched the very first lifeboat? How do you explain that? Well, you can kind of help me by helping me understand how do you explain where you're at spiritually and the lack of urgency you have at this hour, clearly knowing what God's Word teaches. You see, the crowd, well, let's talk about the crowd for a moment. No one else seemed concerned. So why should I be? Do you think with the 20 million people in Los Angeles who can borrow any courage from a complacent crowd? I think so. After the impact, people were warned, yet many were actually annoyed at the interruption from their sleep. And they went back to bed. Others put on the life vest and were told, danced around the deck while others laughed and were entertained by them. Still others refused to put on a life vest because they did not want to dirty their nice clothes. Something very important in that day, how you dress. I'm sure we can't relate in our day. Some of them were urged to get into the lifeboats and they actually refused choosing to stay on the warmer, quote, safer ship. Many laughed at the ship's crew as they warned them of the impending danger. Lifeboat after lifeboat departed, with just 10, 12, 15 people on board, yet each had a capacity of 65. More people could have gotten into those first lifeboats. They just didn't think it was that serious of a situation. And we can, and yes, we will, follow the crowd right to destruction as well. Finally, a series of explosions sets the crowd into panic. 
But by then, almost all the lifeboats had already been launched. Think about this. There were actually men on board who could have purchased the Titanic hundreds of times over. But all their money couldn't even buy them a seat on a lifeboat. Just 13 minutes after the very last lifeboat left, Titanic would be gone forever. You say, well, what's, what's the application here? Well, you don't need a master's degree at USC to figure this one out, I'm hoping. <laughs> but the bottom line is, what you know right now here today, it is absolutely time to act now. Well, you don't even know what will happen this afternoon, let alone tomorrow. You who life is but a mess. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, God makes this appeal. He says, as God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I help you. I tell you, now is the day, or now is the time of God's favor, now is the day of salvation. Do you know when I studied the Bible intently 35 years ago, I went through a period where I just wanted to run and get away. But something told me deep inside, Mark, you're only going to be a fugitive for the rest of your life. Haunted by the truth because you know what the truth is. The night I finally came to realization of that, you couldn't keep me from getting baptized. In fact, the minister literally had to break into the church building because he didn't have his keys. And I'm out there holding the garbage cans like dogs are barking, and he's going into the office window about 10 feet up. I didn't care. I was getting baptized that night because it dawned on me and I finally realized I could not be good enough to ever be saved. But I wasn't right with God, and I wasn't promised tomorrow. In Luke 17, in verse 28, it says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, Jesus says, So also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating. They were drinking. They were marrying. Hey, we had an engagement this weekend. Isn't that great? And being given in marriage up to the day, Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking. Sounds like that's what people primarily do. I know that's true in Texas. I'll there. Buying and selling, planting and building. There's California. 
But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Jesus says it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Yeah, Jesus says, take note of historic events. The great flood. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Those aren't fairy tales. Right. They're not Disney right. stories to tell your kids. I preached a sermon a month ago on Lot leaving Sodom and Gomorrah. I've never gotten more of a stronger response to a sermon. Because I try to really help the church understand, go home this afternoon and just Google Sodom and Gomorrah. Just Google it. And you will find all the archaeological evidence you need to understand, yeah, this is no fairy tale. And I'm going to get urgent about my life because Jesus says you better remember Lot's wife and not look back. It's time to look forward and get on that lifeboat. I want to just mention something because I'm in California about what is often referred to as the nearby ship. It's known very appropriately as the ship that stood still. Ironically, it was called the California. How about that? You talk about a metaphor for here today. The California. Closest ship to the Titanic. Could have got there and rescued everybody before she went down. You know what the problem was? They were actually the ship that sent out the distress or the uh, the warning signal to Titanic at 11 p.m. when the guy barked back, "Shut up, shut up, I'm busy." So the operator of the wireless on the California turned it off and went to bed. Sound like California to you? <laughs> I could get in his face. That's not. That's a, more of a Texas thing. That, that's not a California thing. The California was so close to the Titanic that the officers could actually, on the deck of the California, see it and wondered why she looked quote so queer. So queer. Sound like California? I'll just leave it there. I'll just leave it there. They even saw. They even saw the eight rockets that she had fired in distress, Titanic. Yet they chose to ignore them. When they saw the Titanic actually disappear, they actually thought she had just sailed away. The California stood still. And like the California, I'm afraid that many of us are standing down at this hour as well. Thinking there's no concern. They're just happy over there. That's why they're shooting off these distress rockets. Party time. There's no hurry because there's no danger. And if you're not careful, I want you to hear this. Your indecision here today will quickly be cemented into your decision. Yeah. 
Everyone here needs to make some sort of decision today. A decision to recommit to sharing God's word. Like Ezekiel was told, a watchman over Israel with others. How are you doing in that area? Every one of us needs to learn from this message today and say, okay, I'm ready. Will you sit down and show me the things that hit Mark? The things he referred to. Study the Bible with me. Why should someone have to ask you to put on your life vest? Some of us today, boy, we might be in that mindset of wanting to run from the messenger. Listen, at some point, it's going to hit you that you're lost. And you need to be baptized. Or you need to be restored and recommit your life once again to your Christ. We all need to decide to deal with specific sins in our life that are holding us back and keeping us from entering the lifeboats as they are being launched. I close with these thoughts. As you embark on the memory of Titanic and you're about to get inundated in the next two weeks with many thoughts on Titanic, I hope you'll remember today. And you know, the bottom line is, eyewitnesses said that the ending was absolutely horrible. Wives were torn from their husband. John Jacob Astor placed his young bride in a lifeboat and then literally stepped aside to die. He would have gladly given up his $150 billion for one seat on a cold, cramped lifeboat. Children were pried from parents and were literally eyewitnesses thrown into the lifeboats. Husbands and wives clutched each other as the ship went down. Amazingly, the band set up on the outside deck, as you probably know, and played till the very end. The music they played served as their own requiem. Surviving Titanic second officer Charles Lighthold testified at the inquiry into Titanic sinking that, quote, striking the 28-degree water was like a thousand knives being driven into one's body. Another Titanic survivor, Colonel Archibald Gracie, also testified at the inquiry. He said this, and I want you to think about this as you think about God's judgment to come. He says, there arose to the sky the most horrible sound ever heard by mortal man, except by those of us who survived this terrible tragedy. The agonizing cries of death from over a thousand throats the wells and groans of the suffering, the shrieks of the terror-stricken, and those awful gasping for breath of those in the last throes of drowning. 
that none of us will ever forget to our dying day. In Psalm 39, our final scripture, it says in verse 4, Show me, O Lord, my life's end, and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. Man is a mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He bustles about, but only in vain. He heaps up wealth, California, not knowing who will get it. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope. for you today, finally, is what are you looking for? That's the question this morning. The Bible says all of our days are a mere handbreadth. Four fingers across is what a handbreadth is. It says our life itself is but a breath. And I want to leave you with this, this final thought this morning. Thirteen lifeboats were all that remained of the greatest vessel, arguably, that ever sailed. No doubt, there's a metaphor in there for us. Thirteen lifeboats. All that was left of the greatest ship that ever sailed. I pray that we will hear the voices of those who perished and the lessons they want us to hear today. We're going to do something a little different this morning. We're going to transition now into communion, the ultimate lifeboat before us. And before we, uh, we do that, we're going to hear a two-minute instrumental piece from all things but the Titanic soundtrack. I love this piece because it's so moving to my heart, especially in lieu of these thoughts. But I really love the title that the conductor gave this piece, the writer of the music, and that is A Life So Changed. That's my prayer for us this morning, is as we take communion in two minutes, after this time of meditation, we will reflect on what needs to change at this hour of urgency.